Hello and welcome to the Co-working Values podcast. My name is Tash Costa Thomas and I am the Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Director for the European Co-working Assembly. I'm also a freelance equity, diversity and inclusion consultant as well as the author of the ECA's Idea Handbook and your host for today's episode. In case you weren't aware, the Idea Handbook has been created to support co-working communities in becoming more inclusive, diverse, equitable and accessible. We are currently hosting a series of conversations with idea leaders and advocates from across the globe to highlight the importance of this topic. Hey, so without further ado, I'm now going to hand over to our guest, Ashley, this week. And actually, I'm going to let Ashley introduce herself. So please introduce yourself in whatever way feels relevant and right for you today. Oh, what a great way to start. Um, My name is Ashley Proctor. I am a co-working maven. Um, I'm an artist. I'm a serial entrepreneur. An alchemist, I think, like a connector. Um, Community organizer. I'm a leader in the global co-working movement. And I think most importantly, I'm an activist and an advocate. That's a good introduction. I think think I've connected with a lot of those uh, elements of you over the years, particularly the alchemist and connector. uh, Definitely. I see that a lot uh, in what you do. And so I'm asking every guest this question to begin with. Um, Can you describe what idea means to you? I guess just to break that down, inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. What does it mean to you? Oh, that's a loaded, a gigantic question. I know. It's like, what's Uh, the meaning? of life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it feels like that. It really does in the sense of uh, idea. I mean, it's essential element. It's like a um, the foundation for all operations here on earth. It doesn't make sense to me other than for it to be seen as like a blueprint for humanity. Mm-hmm. You know, like we, 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 <laughs> unfortunately, we have to teach it. You know, we're teaching corporate leaders and uh, political leaders and, 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 you know, our neighbors and our family members um, about inclusion and diversity and equity and accessibility. But really, I think it should be the foundation for everything we do. And it seems like a very, you know, obvious, obvious um, place to start with with everyone feeling like they matter, with everyone having, you know, the same access, the same rights, the same um, opportunity. And um, and we're so far from that. It really, it really, you know, this is a really intense wave I'm going through now thinking about this as a whole. I, yeah. I think this in such a big picture way, all these, these smaller elements around, you know, the initiatives we take to improve. It makes sense that this is an ongoing going effort you know um but I can't believe how much effort it is for these basic human rights yeah it's funny when you when you actually position it like that and you think about you know for anyone who has or is connected to a young child and the values that you want to impart on a child which is you know to be kind to be loving to be caring to be nice to your friends in school and, and all of these things and it's sort of at what point of between that childhood innocence to adulthood and being and working and being in society, do you then all of a sudden forget all of these values and have to relearn how to be kind and how to be considerate and 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 how to communicate with people at, at certain points? And yeah, when you when you sum it up like that, it's, yeah, it does feel like why is it such this? I guess this challenge is often challenged. I think that's the other thing around it, right? Because um, you sometimes see this like pushback or resistance to to idea as as a topic um, or even as a goal uh, as a whole, which yeah, I find really fascinating. Um, yeah, in, but well. Oh, 
sorry. No, go for it. <laughs> I, I feel like the, the pushback definitely come from, you know, the, the people who are currently in positions of privilege and power and the, mm. the very select you um, who these systems were built for. The systems that we operate today um, really only built to benefit a select you. Um, yeah. Colonizers, white, wealthy, well-connected men, you know, a very small group of people who are comfortable owning property and people. Um, those people are also really committed to maintaining their power and their positions of privilege. Um, they take pride in protecting the that yeah. and all yeah. those systems of control. And um, it's a very small group, but they're thriving within a really highly corrupt and competitive capitalist landscape. <laughs> and those um, those folks have a, a large interest in keeping things the way they are. Mm, that sense of loss, right? And that's often a lot of the challenge I get in sessions is, you know, what am I giving up in order for somebody else to have? Um, and actually, it's a much bigger conversation than that. It's a much bigger, uh, I guess, goal, if you want to make it that. But it's not even a goal. Um, much bigger benefit than you losing anything. I guess my next question is everybody that <laughs> I use this term like really lightly is in this work, in inverted commas, has absolutely had a journey to getting to where they are and, and their understanding of it. And I'd love for you to share some of your own journey with idea and understanding it and getting down into the trenches, I guess, and, and doing the work. Oh, um, it's definitely connected to themes that run deep and, and you know, are, are so essential just to sort of me and, and my vision and my values um, as long as I can remember. And that's, you know, based on a huge part of who I am is, is centered around um, equality and equity, justice and fairness. And, and that's been since I was a child. And I can't explain where that comes from. It does the drive um, for almost everything I do. And um, and I and I also think that I had a, a really incredible example from my parents uh, growing up in terms of their community service and community leadership. It wasn't particularly political or um, controversial or being an activist or progressive in, in any sense, but it really did show, you know, a deep-rooted caring and caring for the community and the children in the community and the neighbors um, in our community and, and treating everyone equally um, and, and ensuring that everyone had what they needed to survive and thrive. And, and I think that was a really incredible example growing up without knowing it at the time. Mm. Um, and then I can really, I can I can see sort of as I'm growing, I'm just thinking back, you know, transitioning through my punk rock years as a teenager <laughs> and really feeling connected to the anger and the, the disillusionment and um, the frustration with systems and the way things were being managed. I am the man, you know, but, <laughs> but really, um, what, why? Why is this system built this way? Why does it have to be this way? Why did we decide to create such an unfair and unjust way of being? Why do we even carry that forward when we know better now? So these questions are really boiling and brewing through those angry years. Um, and, and that, of course, turned into direct action and activism and advocacy in my college years. And and um, I feel like just as a natural problem solver, problem solver or um, organizer, as, a, as, a, as an entrepreneur at heart, I'm always looking to, to provide a solution and, and a way forward or organize a container or manage a space or hold base or solutions um, that are community-led. And so all through college, I did union organizing and, and um, you know, direct action with students uh, for the issues that matter to the student body. And luckily, you know, moving to a big city and, and being in a really diverse population um, exposed me to hundreds of thousands of different perspectives, um, cultures, religions, um, all these backgrounds. And it was so refreshing. It was so um, inspiring. And I am just like a knowledge seeker. I'm constantly looking for knowledge. I always want to be learning and growing and to be surrounded by people who are different than me and had different experiences. And, um, you know, I, I really recognize quickly 
the strength in diversity and the diversity of thought and experience and idea and what these folks brought to the table. It's as if we have been intentionally excluding knowledge and progress and all. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, and so it was so refreshing to be in community there and be in community with other organizers and people fighting for justice in the streets and, and also, you know, at City Hall and, and becoming more engaged in terms of policy change and, and uh, becoming entrepreneurs and treating their employees differently, people directly taking action. That really inspired me. And, um, you know, of course, I also have my own experiences um, um, with um, domestic violence and discrimination and police brutality and trauma and loss and disability and poverty and hunger and homelessness. And, you know, th- these are um, not badges. I'm not I'm not proclaiming them to be that way, but they're experiences that really give you a taste of what it's like, um, what the impacts are of these systems. Um, and uh, and I'm a straight white English woman living in Canada. I have universal health care and a family doctor and social services and food mm-hmm. banks to rely upon and an amazing emotional and support system behind me. And those experiences were still absolutely terrible and the solutions were mostly inaccessible. So if that's what my experience was, I'm thinking very clearly about what other people would have to go through in any of those situations, layering upon other identities. And um, and it, it's it's not acceptable to me that people have to work so hard just to be, just to survive. Yeah. But it doesn't make sense to me that people um, are not treated equally. It really just, it, I work really I, There's I work like really an innate frustration in it. In like... my bones. <laughs> I can't <laughs> help it. This is a part of this work, I think. I mean, my, my biggest um, entrepreneurial success might just be a screaming booth for activists and organizers. You just go in and let it go. And I mean, just rebrand a phone booth from co-working to the screaming booth for advocates and organizers. And I'd use that booth. Idea. I'd use that booth. Me too, all the time. <laughs> it's, it's so interesting to hear, like, I think sometimes we don't necessarily connect all of the dots in terms of when we speak about that journey. Um, we often generally connect it to, I personally have felt some form of injustice based on an identity that I hold or those close to me. And I've witnessed something, you know, in my immediate. And that's almost been my call to action. But that often doesn't acknowledge all of that foundational work that was happening from a really early age in terms of the values, the behaviours that were being role modelled to you at that young age. And then that slowly blossoms into what it looked like today in that feeling of like, I, I cannot say, I can't leave this alone. I'm witnessing this and it's not okay just to walk away. I can't just be a bystander. I have to take action in whatever form that comes in. Um, and it's just really fascinating to think of. I don't think we often give ourselves credit for that long journey, but also those influences around us. Um, there's a lot, I guess, mirrored in my own experience and what you've just shared there uh, in terms of equally the values that were taught to me when I was younger probably explains as to why, you know, I'm in this space now. Um, and ironically, I found out recently that my mum was the diversity lead at the hospital back in like the 90s when I was tiny. Um, and like the first, di- it was just diversity then. There wasn't an inclusion and equity and accessibility. We hadn't got that far. Right. Um, and it was just diversity in the hospital. And she was one of one of the leads on that team, the, f- the first ever team in that hospital. And I was like, that's really fascinating to find out because I never knew that. And then here I am, you know, 20, 30 years later doing the exact same thing. Um, so it's, it's all connected in a in a funny way. And you mentioned, you know, in terms of some, some of the things and some of the work that you do now and that you've experienced over, you know, the past few years. And I think that I guess maybe one of the positive things is that I do think that we are at a tipping point, um, I think globally, but also potentially locally and nationally in terms of the types of conversations that are happening publicly. Um, And now, even since I've been in this space, sort of officially, you know, 
the idea of bringing up diversity and inclusion would be like, mm. and or saying that that's what I did would be like, well, what's that then? And now it's like, oh, 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 you do that. And it, there's an understanding and a knowledge towards it. Um, what would you like to see going forward now that we are kind of at this, I guess, tipping point? It's it's more mainstream, as it were, in inverted commas. I think I want to see more people actively engage. I know there are a lot of people who are scrolling through Instagram and see a statement and go, totally, and they like it and they know it and they believe it and they scroll on by. Mm. Um, the action that comes with those values is really important to me. And I think that we are at a, a, a tipping point, as you say, this is a this is a, um, a real opportunity. And I think it's slipping away um, as the, the, the conversation slips away from the pandemic as well that we're still currently yeah. experiencing globally. Um, I think that this is an opportunity to disrupt the status quo and to rebuild differently. And I think that we're on this threshold between the old and the new, and we actually have to choose to actively build the future that we want. We have to choose to hold the space for the conversations. We have to choose to create a brave and a safe space to talk about these things and to work collaboratively with our neighbors. We have to step up and take on roles in, at City Hall and leadership roles in our own organization. Stepping up might look like stepping aside and making yeah. room for new leadership, for mentorship opportunities, for reverse, reverse mentorship and really listening, you know, and engaging the youth. Um, so I'd love to see more people taking up the charge to start with speaking up and getting involved and actually doing something to keep this momentum going. Because another key part of, of this strategy really um, for great systemic or social change is that we have to prevent burnout as well. And and that collaborative nature is what allows that to be possible. And so I say this all the time. I'll say it again. Um, I love this quote around, you know, activism being like singing in a choir. And we can all, you know, take a breath because the note will be held by the other choir members while we take our breath and then continue on singing the note. And um, we need to take a break in our work to be able to continue doing the work. We need to take a breath and keep singing. And um, that's only possible if other people are going to be there to keep singing in our absence. And so we can't create systems where we have powerful leaders or singular individual leaders making decisions or, or um, running organizations. We need a real collective effort um, and the ability to step down and step up and step down and maybe step back and step in or out mm, as so we true. need um, to prevent that burnout. And the last thing I think we need is around um, philanthropic culture. I think we need a change there as well from this solidar to a solidarity um, mindset. Um, when we treat things as charity and we're doing good by donating to poor people in need, um, mm. we're, doing, we're doing the world a disservice. Um, we're even doing our work a disservice. Um, what we need is people to say that is a human being in need and that is a thing that needs to change. And I have just as much responsibility as anyone else to change it. And I have just as much responsibility as anyone else to make sure that that person has everything that they deserve. And we all deserve these opportunities for safety and shelter and you know, the most basic human rights. And so I really, I really want to see that, that shift from um, charity to solidarity. Mm, some really key things there in terms of, I think, like bringing up the fact that social media, I think, has been a massive part of that tipping point in terms of how we're able to have conversations at a global level um, versus relying on one source of media uh, to steer a conversation or to have it. Um, and it's really that idea of, you know, I often think of, I remember when I first started initially really getting into sort of the advocacy space from an LGBTQ standpoint. And I remember, you know, back in 2020, June 2020, and, you know, we're having that as well, conversation around the murder of George Floyd and absolutely feeling that sense of burnout from the fact of, you know, if I don't step up and speak or answer to this or, or put myself forward for this or say yes to 
this, like then the opportunity will be lost and it, it may never come around again. And absolutely there is that need for knowing that there is that collective support. So when I'm taking a break um, and recharging or resetting or just absorbing and processing, that there is somebody else that can lead the charge because I think a lot of people feel guilt, right? When I'm not doing something, I've been so active and now I'm not doing anything. And now I feel like I'm letting people down. I'm letting my community down by not being in that position. Um, so yeah, really like pushing forward and finding that sense of community and, and collaboration in order to, to be able to do the work in the first place. Um, yeah. I, activists and, and community organizers, educators, caregivers, parents, and 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 elder caregivers, for example, um, experience burnout at such high rates. Mm. And, um, you know, they're holding space. They're doing so much emotional labor. Um, on top of that, being connected, um, you know, to these issues personally and really directly. If you're doing frontline work, for example, and learning, yeah. you know, firsthand in the downtown east side, um, it's an entire other, you know, category of labor you are doing just to be in those, those roles and to be in doing that kind of work. And it, and it comes from, you know, a service mindset, but there's there's a line and I'm trying to figure yeah. out where that line is because at some point it stops being um, productive and it starts to be at the expense of your own well-being. Yeah. That in turn becomes an expense of the collective if you're not there to carry someone else's note. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we owe it to our organizations and we owe it to ourselves and we owe it to our families and to our ancestors to rest, to take breaks. Um, this self-care is really essential for the collective good. We all need to be able to do that. Um, and we, you know, every time I feel this guilt or, or, or self-doubt around resting and stopping, I have to remember that that, you know, was a created feeling. That feeling is intentional. Someone wants me to feel that way, so I'll get mm. back to work. Um, and, and that's not what we need to create healthy collective mm-hmm. collaborative movements and a better future for everyone. I think it's really important to put people's health and well-being first. And um, and that includes our own. Yeah, it's it's so funny when I, when I deliver sessions and I have some, you know, maybe I'll have someone come into that space who I can feel resistance. Some of that resistance, this is new. I don't really understand it. I'm not really sure why I need to be here. Um, and then I I see those like penny drop moments and those light bulb moments for them as they, as they connect to the conversation and start to understand it in a different way. And part of me is like, yes, that's, that's like, that's one, like, there's a little bit less of my energy that I have to give knowing that that person's going to leave this space and have like a little mini ripple effect in their community, right? That's like that one times one, like times five, times five, times five kind of feeling. Um, And it's exactly that, like finding those ways. And you obviously won't get everybody to be necessarily as passionate or as driven as you around a particular topic or or a movement, but finding people at least to, you know, feel somewhat connected to it or inspired by it um, to then go away and even have small conversations is is still doing something um, and connecting. I guess, do you have a vision? And I'm, I use this, I, I can maybe whittle this down a little bit, I guess, both for your immediate community, thinking to that and, and the communities that you work with. Um, do you have a specific vision for the coming future of what you'd want it to be or look like or your work to look like? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I actually spent the last month considering, reconsidering, you know, my vision and values. I, mm. I try to use January every year as an opportunity to, to realign myself with, um, to realign my work and and myself with my personal and professional values. And so I've been thinking a lot about what we're trying to do. And so I think probably the best summary right now would be um, 
uh, a just recovery or, or a collective path forward. I really feel this has to be a collaborative um, effort. So even though there's a lot of work to do, like a lot of work to do, <laughs> we know this, right? We know this. Yeah, right? but, yeah. but the solution, the actual solution, very, very simple. And it's just a collective agreement between human beings. We just have to agree to the base um, that we all deserve clean yeah. air, you know, fresh water. We we all have to protect and care for the land. We can just agree, you know, we have to protect and care for the wildlife. And, and we all have a right to healthy food and shelter and safety and, and medicine and education and equal rights. Um, these are very basic agreements, but it has to be a collective mm. agreement. And right now, the agreement we're operating under is that it's okay for a few select people to be extremely wealthy and powerful and the rest of us to work to serve that in, yeah. at the expense of our health and well-being and safety and medicine and education and equal rights. And that's an agreement we need to change. So um, my vision is that we come to that collective agreement, really. And there are many, many ways we can work towards that. So I am extremely appreciative of work that is done at an internal level, people working on these issues in themselves, thinking about it, reading about it. You don't have to be participating outwardly, but just thinking about it and 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 really becoming aware. Um, there are efforts you can take within your own organization, within your own families and friend mm-hmm. groups, changing things. There are changes we can make at a policy level, working through politics and the government relation. There are things we can do at the philanthropic level where we have connections to funders. There's things we can do in the nonprofit level. There are things we can do in entrepreneurial spaces like social um, enterprises and co-working communities. There are so many ways that we can contribute towards getting to this selective agreement and putting the systems in place to sustain that instead of the model that we currently have. And so I'm really grateful for every little piece that people do um, in service of that work. And in terms, like, it's it's such a beautiful vision. It's one that I completely aligned with. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of, and, it, and it's like, you, you boil it down and it's when we put it in that simplest form, right? This is the vision that everybody has those really basic human rights. Like, what it, why can't, why haven't we all collectively agreed to that? What is the challenge there? And I guess, obviously, understanding, you know, from what you were saying earlier, there are a key, a small core demographic of people who hold on to a lot of both the decision making, but also the financial power, the commercial power, everything else behind those decisions. But I guess, what pieces do you think are missing from that vision becoming true at more of like a grassroots level? What would you say are maybe, you know, the everyday person um, in terms of reaching that? Because I, I also believe that whilst we have that vision as a global thing, and I think often we focus on trying to shift the mindset of that number one person sitting at the top of the pyramid. And actually, it's really around the mindset of those that much broader demographic of people at the bottom of the pyramid. Um, what is it do you think that are the missing pieces in order for that? I think a lot of people forget how powerful that they are as an individual. And then I think also a lot of people underestimate how powerful we are as a collective of individuals yeah. working towards a goal. And so people really just need to um, trust that when they take an action, there will be a ripple effect. And also be courageous. I think people need to be more courageous in the sense of there are real consequences for putting some of these changes in place for some people who hold power and privilege. And there are real consequences for speaking up for the right thing in a room full of people who disagree. Yeah. There are real consequences to your work, your career, to your income, your housing, to your stability, to your reputation. There are a lot of people who will push back. And um, in some cases, it's not safe yet to speak up. And so yeah. we can't expect people who are being discriminated against and oppressed and persecuted and marginalized to be the ones to carry this load. As people who are privileged in some sense, whether that just be that we live in a country that is currently stable, we have shelter, we have food, maybe that's 
currently um, our state, uh, we have an opportunity as well. With that stability, we have an opportunity to become a contributor in, in a positive way towards solving an issue. And I think we really need to focus on our own commitments and accountability that if we if we can commit to taking a bit of time each month reflecting on this, I think it would expand into taking some time each month to do more work or to make a decision that's aligned with those values or to help out in some way or to have a conversation with someone that affects the change. But also just, the, the again, the remembrance that small actions ripple out. If you stop tolerating certain jokes in your friend group, if you don't allow a conversation to continue at the dinner table that is coming from your racist uncle, yeah. if you stand up on social media and say that's not acceptable, um, you know, or maybe even messaging someone privately and saying, I'm here standing with you. I know this is this is not fair and I'm here with you publicly, privately. Um, there are ways, small ways that have a big ripple effect. And we really need to believe in that. And we need to hold ourselves accountable as well. We can't say we're going to do things that we wish things would change, that we want things to change, and then back that up with nothing. Mm-hmm. But we have to back that up with action. We have to back that up with money. We have to back that up with time and energy and commitment. And that's not just lip service from organization or tokenizing speakers at conferences and events. You know, it's real representation. It's real involvement. It's really thinking about how we elevate leadership, real, incredibly talented, diverse leadership. Mm. Um, and I, I also, you know, I think a big piece that's missing from this vision, um, I mean, missing from the reality right now for this vision to happen is um, having a real focus on Indigenous rights and stewardship of the land. Yeah. A lot of the issues that we're experiencing, um, a lot of the issues we're experiencing are directly related to colonization, are directly related um, to removing um, Indigenous people from the land yeah. and displacing people and ignoring um, established and proven techniques for stewarding um, the land and the wildlife and, and caring for the gifts and natural resources that we have on planet Earth. Um, so I think a big piece of moving forward is work um, reconciling with Indigenous people and a land back movement and stewardship of the land. And um, another piece is, is um, I think, the missing engagement with our youth. And so looking to ancestors and looking to our youth, um, I think, is essential. And you know, a lot of the youth are, are, are growing up knowing, no way. knowing <laughs> of the way they yeah. Not a hope, not a vision. They know and they're yeah. very aware of how we're getting it wrong. And I think they're empowered and they're going to be incredible leaders as soon as we get out of their way. And so I think anything we can do to engage meaningfully with the youth and empower them and learn from them and put their ideas and practices into action now before they have the power to yeah. um, would be advantageous as well. Yeah, I think especially, you know, in terms of speaking about youth and young people, the type of tools at their disposal now, you know, since the internet and social media and just the fact that everybody is certainly thinking more so Western world walking around with a mobile phone, right? And being able to make that that connection and have that influence, literally being known as influencers. But let's use that in the most powerful and productive way possible rather than just, I get lots of free stuff <laughs> for taking pictures of myself. Um, but yeah, there's so, there's so much to it. But I think that, you know, what you're saying there around that sense of action, like it always comes down to action. And there's so many people who, you know, you can sit around and, oh, wow, you really had to go through that. Oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. That's awful. Full stop. Continue with the rest of my day. And actually, you know, where does that go? What is it that, what is the thing that sparks you to then do something, whatever that doing is, you know, maybe it is. And I also think action can be that you just take the time to learn and to understand more. It doesn't necessarily have to be that action is you start protesting or you're writing hundreds of letters to MPs. It can be, let me actually really understand this challenge or 
whatever this injustice is so that I can really advocate for it in the spaces that I operate in um, as a huge part of that. Now, I I know that you are the queen of resources (laughs) and and, um, ways of supporting. And there is one very big resource that uh, that we cannot have this conversation and not talk about. Um, So anyone who doesn't know about it, uh, what resources can you suggest for the audience to learn more in terms of how they can take action? Yeah, I would suggest really the Coworking Idea Project website as a great starting point for organizing and resources in co-working communities and beyond. It's really um, designed to be used uh, for multiple industries and teams and alliances. So, um, so yeah, I guess to, to to clarify for those who don't know, the Coworking Idea Project um, is really an informal uh, organization. It, um, it's bound together by a group of collaborative co-working leaders and alliances and consultants, uh, ourselves included, um, who are really committed to um, inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility in the co-working movement um, and beyond. Um, and um, and in, in terms of uh, my own role in the project, um, I manage the project and I ensure um, that it happens and I do fundraising and sponsorship behind the scenes and some of the challenge production and co-hosting. But to be very clear, I am not an idea <laughs> expert by any means. Um, that's, that's just not my experience. And and um, um, But what I am is really committed to the cause. And so that's one of the ways that I uh, take action um, in the world. And um, what we do, though, through the project is each month we bring in a facilitator um, or a co-host to issue a challenge to the co-working world and to other organizations um, to really, you know, think about a specific topic um, and think about different questions, um, do audit in your own organization uh, and in your own space and think about ways to improve. And there may be some resources or templates or guides to use, but really it's a a starting point to launch a deeper conversation um, so that these issues are front of mind as we move through the year. Um, and that, that that way we're always reminded to be doing the smaller incremental work. Um, none of us can, can wake up tomorrow and, and overhaul our entire organizations or we can't create an unraced system tomorrow. That's not going to happen. It takes time and it takes small movements by everyone to get there. Um, and so this is what the project's really designed to do. Um, but because of that format, we get to actually share the knowledge of experts um, in DEI work and, and, um, and uh, we have a special guests come in each month to share their knowledge and expertise and then they also share their networks of resources and links to um, really really uh, well designed um, supports uh, for those challenges so I'd suggest everyone go to coworkingidea.org and check that out the past challenges stay up for a while as well so you can go back and take a look at some of the other challenge topics we always link out to the um, idea professionals as well too because we want you to follow up with them directly if you're looking for um, experts to come in and work directly with your organization or if you want someone to come and talk to your group, um, that's what they're they're there for. Uh, we're trying to bring their knowledge and, and um, them as experts and facilitators out to a larger audience yeah, in the hopes that you'll all learn from them and take advantage of those opportunities to connect and to meet more together. It's such a cool project. Uh, <laughs> I, I've had the honor of being involved in it at multiple occasions and, and leading on challenges. And it's funny, I actually, I had a, a small organization reach out to me recently. They're actually based in the Netherlands. Uh, they're a team of sort of 30 people and they were at the point of, you know, we we understand the need to have these conversations in our company and, you know, we're, we're trying to put together a DNI strategy and this is completely new to us and we have limited budget right now, but but we want to be able to, to start this conversation and there are there any resources? And I was like, go to this website, Idea Project. Uh, don't be put off by the fact that it 
it talks about co-working because it's relevant for you and there's monthly challenges and I would suggest that this is a great starting point for you as an organization to trial some of these challenges within your team um and they were like wow this is super helpful this is exactly what we were looking at and it feels like it's it's possible for us to do it doesn't feel overwhelming or daunting but it feels like a way for us to get other people involved and and understand sort of the buy-in and where people are at in terms of their own understanding of this conversation uh so yeah as we were saying it doesn't have to necessarily be that you own a co-working space you can just simply work for a company and say "Ah, i've seen this and i think it'd be really valuable for us to do um as an organization Uh, because like you said you are getting connected to experts in specific fields whether that's around disability neurodiversity menopause anti-racism like all of these different key topics you get to speak to people who know what they're talking about and and have that experience um yeah it's a it's a real entry level um conversation starter but then it it gives you options to dive deeper and i think that's what's nice about it being customizable so you know if that's the first time your organization is thinking on these topics it's a great way to start and if you're more experienced or perhaps you know you've been through trainings and, and you're really looking to extend it it's a great reminder that these conversations need to be had over and over again just like managing a community the work is never really done you're always um you know looking uh, at ways that you can improve and, and things change over time as well you know the more we unlearn and learn on standard best practices you know improve and by collaborating internationally we're also accelerating you know I, I suggest there are some places around the world that are having very specific conversations around race and gender equity um and and uh, when we share the conversations internationally when we share what we're learning and how we're managing we accelerate and uh, we can take that knowledge back in our own region and put things into place and so we're always updating our code of conduct we're always you know changing language to be more inclusive we're always learning more and so we're always doing better and um that's what i really love about the project because you just take it as you will and i know you're right about it working for other non-co-working initiatives because i run an organization and when a challenge comes out i put on one hat and i take challenge <laughs> take it off i put on another hat i take the challenge and it really can be applied you know to a non-profit organization to a small volunteer team to a co-working space to yeah. a multi-location um company it, it really just is about the intention and taking the initiative and time to think about it and actually you highlight something really key there is that it's not location specific i think a lot of the conversations are happening where it's like we're talking about racism in the context of the us which is very different to the context of the uk which is very context different to the context of eastern europe right and actually it's a conversation the conversations are happening at a global level just by way of the people involved in it but also the audiences that are coming and being part of the conversation around each challenge means that you get to understand it at a much broader scale than you normally would i think when we have these discussions. Yeah. And I also think that the beauty of the project is, again, the collaborative nature of it is we sort of launch the challenge um, in the format that we do on YouTube because it can be captioned in multiple languages um, in the blog post because it can easily be translated online. And then also because that gives our alliances around the world um, something to start with, work with, to then translate and, and, and you know, adapt and share out in their own regions as well. So um, oftentimes we'll see the challenges translated in German and the German Coworking Federation shares them out and there may be a different discussion in their time zone in their language that makes more sense regionally or it might be more relevant to an incident or something that just happened locally um, than the the um, global conversation but there's opportunities for both and so yeah. that's what also feels really good about the um, the structure of the collabor- collaboration between partners in the idea project oh, I feel lighter from this conversation I know it doesn't like it feels like just ha- 
have a, having a conversation with somebody who, you know, we understand there's challenges, but is still holding true and fast to the vision and, and prepared and, and ready to be in the trenches and do the work always feels like I step away lighter after speaking with you, Ashley. Um, thank you so much for today. The idea uh, project is also featured at the end of the handbook as part of our resources. Um, and we also allude to some specific challenges there in there to support with some of the activities in the handbook itself um, as like a, an easy way for you to access certain things. Um, where can people find you is most important at this stage. Yeah, if you're looking for me, you can find me at creativeblueprint.ca or coworkingcanada.com. Um, but find the idea project at coworkingidea.org. And um, I wanted to say thank you to Tash and congratulations on the handbook. It's a really incredible resource and I'm so excited that everyone's going to get a chance to get their hands on it as well. And um, I also um, I also just before we leave, really want to acknowledge that there is just so much of the work um, that was done before us um, that was done by uh, BIPOC leaders. And it was most likely and absolutely done um, without pay equity or any kind of understanding of all that uncompensated emotional um, and physical labor. And so I really want to just address that, that, that the work we're doing today is because of all of those people that came before us. Um, and we're really hoping to, to carry that work forward. And I see that in all the work you do well. So um, thank you for all you do and uh, for having me here today. Thank you so much. Um, so there you have it, everyone. The amazing Ashley Proctor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so, so much for joining me for today's episode and a massive thank you to Ashley uh, for joining me as well and also for getting up so early to be on this call. Um, thank you for sharing your wisdom, knowledge and vision with us all today. Please make sure you check out the notes uh, so you can get connected to the idea project and hopefully start some challenges in your place of work and your community. And of course, please feel free to connect with me via LinkedIn, Tash Costa Thomas, Costa spelled K-O-S-T-E-R hyphen Thomas. Until next time, have a wonderful day.